Hello, everyone. This is Premier Chess CEO, National Master Evan Rabin, and I am very excited to be here on episode 224 of the Premier Chess podcast, where every single week we interview great uh, chess professionals, business coaches, attorneys, uh, other types of business professionals, and others who have found their passion in whatever it is that they do. Uh, this week, we have uh, a great uh, chess player, a FIDE master, uh, Nate Solon who is uh, not only a master, but also uh, an author. Uh, he's also uh, a data science consultant with Chessable. Uh, we've actually had uh, many other Chessable uh, employees uh, on the podcast uh, before, including the founder, or one of the founders, Dimitri Schneider. And uh, yeah, it's my pleasure uh, having you on. And, uh, and he's also been uh, a poker player uh, in the past as well, doing lots of other things. Uh, is a Bachelor of Arts in English, actually, from Stanford University. And uh, it's my pleasure having you on the podcast today. How's everything going? Thanks. Excited to be here. Uh, doing good. Amazing. So, um, you know, I guess to, to start, you know, you uh, were living in uh, Boston uh, for, for several years, where I also, uh, you know, spent some time. I know you've, uh, you know, worked closely there with, uh, for instance, Eugene Perlstein. Uh, you know, actually writing together. I, I used to play actually with Eugene on, on the Boston Blitz of the U.S. Chess League, uh, you know, quite a while ago. Uh, and uh, you're currently in uh, Nebraska. So tell me, you know, just a little bit more about yourself and, uh, you know, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess, I don't know, I can, I can either start with Nebraska. Well, just a little, yeah. yeah, I guess, you know, just on a high level, a little bit about, you know, how you got involved in, in chess and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, how, how you got to uh, where you are today, both as a, a chess player and a, and a data scientist. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm, like a lot of people, I started playing chess as a kid around third grade uh, for me, Um, you know, quickly got really into it, started going to the, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, started going to the chess club, started going to Go tournament. Blue? Yeah, exactly. Um football season just starting this week I think um so yeah I started you know just spending a lot of time playing studying um probably like middle school early high school was when I really spent the most time on competitive chess traveling to a lot of tournaments making a lot of improvement um you know sometime around there uh like like got to the the master level you know I was competing in the national um you know, middle school, high school tournaments, stuff like that. Um, started to kind of get, you know, maybe a little burned out, kind of get out of it, like around end of high school, beginning of college, like a lot of people do, I think other interests, other priorities. So um, I didn't play as much competitively. You know, I still like, you never really completely get out of it. Like I've always played um, online speed chess, like sort of follow the tournaments and stuff, but I didn't play, um, as as much competitively for a while um after college I, I got into poker played poker professionally for you know for several years uh so while i was doing that that was that was more my focus i wasn't working on chess as much but then just a few years ago i decided to to sort of transition out of poker started to get into um data science so so i've been doing that for the past few years and then i found with not playing poker, I had a little bit more energy maybe to to devote back to chess. So I got um started playing again. You know, I 
played played a decent number of tournaments in the Boston area. I was able to kind of improve from from where I had left off as a kid, which was nice. Um, and then the biggest thing for me, really, in the last few years, is getting you know getting much more less less so than just the individual competition side and more the content and the teaching. Uh, I write my newsletter every week, which is probably the biggest thing I do with chess right now. I'm also working on my book with Eugene. Um, and just, you know, on Twitter, of course, uh, so really more, more focused on helping other people, creating, creating content, writing about chess, um, kind of, you know, I haven't played a lot of tournaments in the last recently between, uh, obviously we, we've had the whole situation with COVID and I, I have a newborn who's just about three months now, but, Congratulations. uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I would love to, um, to get out there and play. You know, so I, I moved to Nebraska recently. I haven't I haven't played any uh like sanctioned tournaments out here. So so I'd love to get back out there um and play some tournaments as well, just you know, just for fun. And I think as a coach or as a writer, it's good to be in the trenches a little bit and have that experience. Just you know, yeah, it's little- well, I do think that uh, you know, it, it's important to, you know, constantly, you know, play. You know, I actually had one student, uh, this guy Paul, who's an adult. Uh, a couple of years ago and, you know, I kept telling him, like, you got to play once a month, you know, out there, you know, he's playing online and, and it's just like local club, uh, you know, which was great, but I said, no, you got to get tournament experience, you know? And then like one day uh, he just actually asked me like, when's your next tournament? And I was like, damn, yeah, <laughs> you know, like straight up. I, I just, I'll never forget. And actually literally that day I, I booked, like two tournaments, you know, actually literally one in, in, in actually uh, Canada and Montreal where I'm actually headed tonight um, to get married, actually. Uh, and uh, another one actually in Italy uh, back in 2019. I was like, you know what? If he's going to call me out and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, listen to the student, you know, and let the student become the teacher and really just get into it. You know, so, and I was like, look, if I'm going to get into it, I'm going to have fun. I played, yeah, one tournament in, in Canada and, and uh, you know, one tournament in Italy, uh, you know, which was yeah. awesome. For but, sure. Uh, yeah, over-the-board tournaments are – it's just a level of um, intensity and focus that for most people, I don't, I don't think you can really access that any other way. Like, it would be great if you could just turn it on like a faucet and just be like, all right, you know, getting out the board, next two hours, maximum focus. But uh, being in that tournament atmosphere uh, – yeah, it's just very hard to replicate that. And I often, you know, new players sort of go like, what's the big deal? Why do I have to go to a tournament? But then usually when they go to that first one, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it now. It's like, it's a totally different environment. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. Um, you know, look, it, it, it is really just like absolutely, uh, you know, very, very, very different, um, you know, and yes, I mean, th- Students have told me, you know, quite often, you know, especially people who have been, you know, active in chess in the pandemic, you know, they really like, you know, they don't even know what tournaments are like, you know, they don't realize that, you know, for instance, uh, you know, over the board, if you're playing a tournament and you're exhausted, right, you can't just stop, you know, you got to get to the next round, you know, in, in whatever condition you are. You know, at the World Open, there were like five, you know, game 30 games, you know, the first day, but you just kind of keep, you know, up the, the momentum, right? So, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, just like Michigan football, you know, you, <laughs> you got to go. And, I, and I've been to the big house, you know, so I know what it's like, you know, full force. <laughs> My brother uh, actually is a, a Michigan alum. So oh, cool. um, I've been uh, a couple of times. Uh, awesome. I'm sure you probably yeah. grew up eating at Zingerman's. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been to Zingerman's a few times. Um, I even worked at the the mail order at Zingerman's briefly. Like oh, wow. A long time ago. Incredible. But uh, yeah, no, I, you know, even as a New Yorker and our belly is here, uh, definitely like it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, really, um, you know, I didn't want I wanted to, you know, I could thank you, uh, you know, since actually listening to your uh, podcast episode uh, not very long ago with uh, Ben Johnson and uh, Eugene Perlstein, uh, I did subscribe actually to your newsletter. Oh, I've been, yeah. uh, you know, enjoying it uh, quite a bit, actually. And, uh, you know, I thought one about, like, you know, tournament preparation. One of the ones that, honestly, you know, I, I really actually liked was, was, was your one about playing Blitz online. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and students will often ask me uh, that, uh, uh, you know, yeah, students will, you know, often ask me, you know, is speed chess, you know, good? Is it, uh, you know, not so good? Um, you know, not, not so sure. Um, and I guess, you know, but, but, and, and, and so it's a tricky question, you know, same thing, you know, I play a lot of blitz, you know, on online, but, uh, you know, is it, is it worthwhile? You know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, and your, your two, you know, main tips actually work to, uh, make sure you, you know, analyze every game, uh, and, you know, to set, you know, a set number of, uh, games, uh, you know, to play, uh, you know, before a session. Um, is there any other like you know recommendations you would give uh, you know for playing Blitz online or anything you could you know add to that? Yeah, I think th- those are the two big ones. If you want to use it as an improvements tool, if you want to just sort of blow off steam, obviously you can kind of do whatever. But yeah, I think um like like decide in advance when you'll play and how many games you'll play and stick to it and and analyze all the games. Um, I think uh. Blitz is like, you know, you hear different things and like some coaches or some people will say like, don't, don't play Blitz. I think um, there, there's like a few things going on there. Like one is that I think like sometimes in chess, like people are a little too willing to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, like in that if, if there's some, if there's some way something could be bad or if it's risky, just like don't do it at all. But at the same time, I think like Blitz, if you do it like anything else, if you do it with focus, if you do it thoughtfully it can work really well. So it's more about like how you do it than whether obviously there's lots of other study techniques that can, can work do, too, but I think it's more about how you do it. Um, and, you know, it has, has the upside of you can get um, a lot of volume in very quick, you know, you can play many games. And I think one reality of being better at chess is you just, you have to play a lot of games. You have to see a lot of situations and how they play out to sort of, build up that mental database of just how you react to situations. Um, and I think, if, you know, if you exclusively play classical chess, like it's just very difficult to get that volume of situations in to build the pattern recognition mm. that you really need. So I, I think Blitz can um, definitely be, uh, be good. Another, another thing about it, I kind of like is, okay, you don't have as much time to think, obviously. So that can be a downside, but as far as improving and in, in a way it's an upside because it kind of reveals your instincts, you know, it sort of stress tests 
where to be able to use something consistently, you want it to the point where it's pretty automatic. Even if you're under stress, even if you're not your best, you could still apply it. So when you're, when you get under that time pressure, you're going to revert to to habits or patterns. And especially when you, when you can see the same mistakes occurring across multiple games, uh, I think that, you know, that tends to be like a big clue towards weaknesses. And I, you know, I definitely see that of like, um, my mistakes, it's, it, they're not sort of one off. I mean, some are, but there are some sort of categories of mistakes that like over multiple games, if you look at them and connect them, they become very clear patterns. And I think those are the, the ones that are important to address. Um, yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, like what you said, you know, blitz and, and moderation is good. And, and, you know, again, just like doing it, you know, the right way, you know, not, uh, you know, using it, you know, kind of completely for fun, you know, and the fun is good, but, uh, you know, using it as a, a resource where you could, uh, you know, actually get, uh, some sort of return on investment, uh, you know, for, for, for playing it. Um, now tell me, uh, you know, about this, uh, this upcoming book that you're, uh, you know, writing with Eugene. Yeah. So it's, it's called Evaluate Like a Grandmaster. So it's all, the focus is really on evaluation, um, which is what we noticed is, from the perspective of your thought process and, and also influenced by computer chess, one way of breaking chess down would be into calculation versus evaluation. Mm. Um, the calculation being crunching through moves, looking at variations, you know, I do, I do this, he does that, I do that, that whole process of looking at moves. But obviously um, in most positions, you can't just calculate every single line to a checkmate. Like at some point you have to stop there's some position on the board where something's going on. So you kind of have to look at that position and make some sort of judgment about it, right? Like who's better, how much and why. So that, that being the evaluation part. Um, and what, what we were struck by is there's a lot of books that really focus on calculation, uh, very few books relatively that focus on evaluation uh, specifically. So that's basically the idea of the book um, to, to work on those evaluation skills um it's it's kind of a workbook style it has it's it's a lot of examples um not as much prose but um you know so so we go through different kinds of examples you know the basic one is just put a bit position on the board evaluate it um then we kind of increase the complexity in various ways um you know somewhere then, then we go up to you you sort of visualize a few moves ahead and calculate a position we go to uh, consider multiple different variations and compare them. And then even um, some where we took a single position and just move pieces around slightly, not, not chess moves, but literally just adjust the position, like edit the position and see how that changes the evaluation. So they're all just different ways of fine tuning your evaluation skills. Um, and then we really tried to, to do a good job with the answers, especially because that's where, you know, the explanations is, is kind of the meat of it. So all in all, the goal is to, to see a ton of examples, build up your ability to see the board and your intuition, you know, so you can get that feeling of which positions are good and bad and what, what you should be aiming for. Interesting. And yeah, I think uh, evaluation is something that a lot of players don't, uh, you know, consider enough. Um, you know, a lot of players will just kind of go for an attack, you know, at any you know opportunity, right, when there's nothing that justifies it. 
Uh, you know, they also won't look for things like, you know, like their weak punt structure and try to come up with a plan accordingly that will, you know, take advantage uh, of that. Uh, you know, yesterday I was looking at a game with, uh, you know, two students and, uh, yeah, one side had, you know, a lot of weak light squares. And, you know, my student was, yeah, not evaluating the position enough and, and seeing that there were, uh, you know, some weak light squares. And, uh, you know, missed like a, a simple maneuvering idea to, uh, you know, control the light squares because uh, it wasn't uh, about evaluating. Uh, so actually my, one of my former coaches, uh, Alan Cantor, uh, who actually has been on the podcast as well, uh, you know, actually once taught me the seven steps to evaluate a position uh, and how that should, uh, you know, help your plan. Um, but uh, of course, uh, a whole book that you wrote with, uh, you know, a grandmaster, uh, you know, I'm sure gets obviously in, into a lot more detail. Um, but uh, I think, I, as you said, actually, in the interview on uh, you know Ben Johnson's podcast, there's really not that many books you know specifically about evaluation. Uh, you know, so that uh, I, I definitely look forward to seeing that uh, come out soon. Uh, do you have any idea when that's going to sort of hit the shelves? Yeah, it it should be really soon. So I I I've missed a few deadlines. It, this is my first book. It turns out writing a book is really hard. Um, so. Uh, yeah, just kind of that final process of like polishing it, going through the edits, making sure everything is right. There's no mistakes. Um, yeah, it turns turns out it's quite hard, but we are we are really on the home stretch. So I think um, within a few weeks from now, we do there we we have sort of a landing page website that's um, evalgm.com that you can like sign up for updates. So that's that's one place um, people can go. You know, if you just want to make sure to receive an update when it comes out, which is actually going to be very soon now. Um, like I've got, actually, I have my my proof copy right here with, you know, that I'm marking up with a pen to just like make a few um, few edits. But but very soon. Um, so yeah, if you you know if you if you sign up on that website or if you just subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on Twitter, you can you know obviously I'll be announcing when it's coming out and everything. Amazing. Well, I definitely look forward to uh, seeing that. Uh, you know, actually come out. And uh, I definitely know what it's like, you know, by the way, uh, you know, I've been procrastinating somewhat to like really make a lot of progress in my first book uh, that I'm actually writing with Grandmaster Landon Dudasson, who was uh, my coach, uh, who, you know, basically helped me become master. And, uh, you know, I've been, uh, what, for several months now, I was supposed to write <laughs> Like the, the the first couple of chapters, and it just like hasn't happened yet, you know. So it's um, it's it, it, it's not easy. I I totally get it. <laughs> what's what's the the sort of theme of um your book? Uh yeah, so um basically it's about uh, second tier opening and uh, why you shouldn't play them and why you should play like you know main line. Um, you know, basically there are a lot of the openings that you'd often told me to stop playing. <laughs> when we first started working together and I was uh, like 17 and 1700 uh, around and, um, you know, basically, you know, look, a, a lot of students will uh, not get outside of their comfort zone. You know, they'll play, you know, the London system, Bishop B5 Sicilian, uh, the Bishop's opening, right? All, all sort of openings that are, you know, the Alicine which I used to play for, you know, quite a while. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, actually, uh <laughs> When when you Dawson couldn't make the, the the wedding, he actually sent me a a little message basically saying like, oh, it's uh, 
sorry, I can't make it. And by the way, like Matt and her is a better choice than the Alicante. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I was just considering um <laughs> taking up the Alicante. I've I've never played it, but I was I was considering learning the Alicante. Uh, you know, more as mostly as a blitz thing, but uh, no, I'm I'm really like interested in this idea of um, like opening choice. I I did you know on your topic of main lines, I wrote a post a little while ago on the newsletter about um basically the idea was like you can play main line so i was tr sort of trying to address um seems like a lot of players sort of at the club level are are like scared to play main lines um because they think their opponents will be super booked up um but it, it, it's a bit odd right because like all club players are convinced that all other club players know like every opening but then it's then it's like well wait, where are the guys who actually know all these openings? And what I did was, you know, I just grabbed a random sample of games off of Lee Chess from, like, pretty, you know, solidly, like, players, like, players, like, around 2000. Um, and and just, when I, like, in the Roy Lopez, which, right, is, like, a big main line. And and basically what I found, which is what, I, which was what I've seen in my games and students' games, is, like, most people don't know, even up to a pretty high level, most people don't know that much about, um, they just don't, don't have like a very deep knowledge of opening. So like in, in most games, you see the game deviating from the theory quite early. Um, so I think this, like this fear that, that if you play man lines, your opponents will be so booked up and you have to know so much to survive is like mostly mistreated. I mean, maybe probably once you get to like the IM slash GM level, that starts to become kind of true. But below that, I think not so much. So I think people people are like preoccupied and worried with a lot of things in the opening that really are not relevant. Like one being that their opponents will be um, so booked up. Another one is like a lot of people are very, very scared of draws and they think, mm. you know, they have to play some sort of like bizarre kind of outrageous openings to kind of spice things up to avoid draws. Um, but if you look at you know most games below master level and really even like below grandmaster level, there, there just aren't that many draws in chess below mm. a very high level. So I think again, the idea that you have to go out of your way and do something really weird to avoid draws just doesn't hold water. Like you just you just have to play chess and play good moves. Like you're not if you're not a grandmaster, you're not gonna have very many games where like your opponent knows. They know all the theory. They know all the middle game plans. Like they never screw up. They never give you a chance. Like that game almost never happens. So that's not really something you need to be concerned about. That's kind of what I found. Um, I've been doing a little more coaching lately too. And I, one, one common pattern I've noticed for club players is they they often spend a lot of time on the opening, but yet their um their opening repertoire is not it's not it's not exactly coherent. They're not exactly confident in it. So again, you know, similar going back to blitz, it's not it's not so much what you do, it's how you do it. So it's like you don't you don't want to completely ignore the opening, you don't want to study it too much. But more important than either of those is like when you do study, you're doing it in a way that makes sense and is actually leading to incremental improvement. Yeah, and I I think uh, you know, that is, you know, also critical and, you know, we we you know, look, there's been a lot of conversation on the podcast, uh, you know, about opening study. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had Grandmaster Keith Arkell, who uh, is kind of like infamous for like not 
exciting openings like whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I kind of actually called them out on it a little bit uh, as well, saying like, "What's well, your grandmaster?" You know, whether or not you specialized in openings uh, or you know studied openings relatively compared to you know other uh, you know grandmasters, uh, that that might be you know one thing. But uh, you know, you, you certainly you know, and then of course. Yeah, of course he, you know, admitted that he knows, you know, again in the in the grand scheme of things, openings quite well. You know, I actually say to students all the time, relatively for being a master, you know, I'm not a very good calculator, which is true. You know, I'm definitely a little bit more intuitive. But again, compared to you know most chess players in the world, okay, I'm I'm you know fairly decent, right? So consistency is uh, you know sort of where it's at. Um. So I wanted to, uh, you know, actually transition a little bit from chess to uh, your, you know, data science uh, career. Uh, but actually before that, you, you mentioned moving to uh, Nebraska, as, as I know. Um, actually, another podcast guest uh, sort of maybe somewhat randomly uh, moved to Nebraska as well. Um, did you, have you ever, like, hung out with JJ Lang at all? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so okay. I, definitely, I definitely know JJ. We're, like, Twitter friends. Um I, I got a chance to meet up with him, I think just once in Nebraska. He was playing um, a tournament uh, in Omaha. So we got to hang out and like play a little bit of Blitz. Um, but yeah, he's like a really good, good coach. Um, you know, very, very thoughtful sort of chess commentator. So um, yeah, hopefully I'll get a chance to like get out there and, and play some tournaments and maybe battle with him. Because I've, I've seen he's actually been playing a ton of tournaments lately. Yeah, definitely. He's, you know, def definitely active. And, you know, quite frankly, I think you two are the only people I know in Nebraska. So <laughs> I figured I would ask. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so to, to, you know, transition a little bit, you know, talking about your, your data science career, um, you know, one thing we, we, we do also like talking about, uh, you know, which is why we actually have non-chess players on the podcast as well, um, you know, how, how sort of what, how also their careers sort of, uh you know kind of relate to chess so um how, how would you say your, your your data science work uh might be like somewhat similar to like chess as a game itself hmm. um yeah i guess i don't see like a huge crossover between chess and data science maybe just um knowing um you know knowing how to study and and focus is definitely really important with anything and also kind of um just doing things that that make sense. I I I would say like as as a chess player I'm I'm also a pretty intuitive player but um kind of think thinking about what makes sense in the big picture like what what process it like you know for for instance just like like using your time effectively being prepared in terms of having good good sleep and um good nutrition during the tournament, just kind of things that make sense in the big picture. Um, I mean, one thing you do see in data science is like, in some cases, people like use a bunch of really fancy math, but you kind of step back and say like, does this actually make sense given the situation? It's sort of like, well, not really. So, so I think I would say in both, like I kind of have a bias towards keeping it simple if possible. And, you know, in many cases I, I do find you can, get good results with like, like keeping things fairly simple. Um, if anything, maybe I'd say data science has like a stronger connection with poker because um, in poker, the um, 
the math tends to be more at the foreground in terms of um, probability, obviously. Um, you know, uh, statistics. So those those are actually poker is really in that sense like very very similar to to data science and that you're like trying to use math to make better decisions. Mm. Uh, I think uh, historically, like chess players have not been very into data i think that's that's changing somewhat and i think it's going to continue to change more now that we have um better data sources like you know you can access like an insane number of games from from the lee chess database and and mine those for data which is really interesting mm -hmm. so i think um i think you're starting to see just a, a tiny bit of um a trend in chess similar to other sports where people are more interested in the analytics. Uh, historically, chess analysis has been, um, you know, just all about finding like the good moves, like the truth of a position. So, so analyzing positions, um, the, and then the computers have been used just to serve that purpose of like, what's the right move in this position. But there's a different way you can look at it and, and the different way where that computers are extremely involved in it, which is instead of looking one game or one position at a time and trying to find the truth about it in the sense of the best moves. You can think about it in more of an analytic sense of let's look at a data set of many games, many human games, and look at the, look not at like what's supposed to happen in terms of what you played perfectly, but let's look at like what actually happens when humans have played each other in this situation and see what we can learn from that. So I think that's <laughs> kind of a different way of, of thinking about chess. It's more analogous to like sports analytics that, um, you know, is, is relevant. I think there are some insights there for compete. You know, if, if you see chess as more of like a sort of a sporting activity where you want to compete and perform well and acknowledge that as a human, you are not going to play perfectly like a computer. Um, that's an interesting way to look at it. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, people do need to see, uh, you know, data, uh, of course. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, one thing people don't uh, realize is, uh, yeah, how, uh, you know, chess base is, 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 is massive. Lee chess, as you said, uh, you know, is, is, is massive. Um, you know, most of the, I mean, all of the top level players uh, have second who, uh, you know, prepare openings and, uh, yeah, it's all data and statistics. Uh, you know, my friend Chris Littlejohn is, uh, you know, he covers second, you know, around, um, I don't know, in between our levels, you know, I'm, I'm a national master, you're a theater master, he's, you know, a relatively strong master, but it's nothing, you know, above that. Uh, but he's, you know, just as good of a second as, you know, any of the other grandmasters who, uh, you know, who are, are, are strong seconds of other players because uh, yeah I mean he's a you know, former Microsoft guy who, you know knows uh, you know computers and, and, and data you know quite well and uh, you know it, it definitely helps uh, you know in terms of uh, opening uh, preparation yeah uh, I always, you know, I, always I, I was just wondering like what very curious what what uh, Hikaru's like preparation routine looks like because I mean obviously for him to go from like being a full-time streamer to performing so well in the candidates was really amazing. And like when he's streaming, um, you know, obviously it's chess, but it's like, it's mostly kind of fun stuff. So like, 
you know, I know he's clearly he's like off camera. He has to be um, working on his chess in a way that is extremely efficient. So I, that, you know, seeing him perform so, so well in the candidates, it does make me, I'm like, man, like, what is this guy's study routine that he can just be streaming all the time and yet still be like going toe to toe with the best players in in the world? Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I think he, uh, you know, clearly, obviously, still has a lot of natural uh, talent uh, and 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 whatnot. And uh, you know, maybe it's also a little tricky to say. You know, maybe his uh, his streaming in some way actually helps him. You know, his actual. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, it helps him financially, but maybe it also helps. Probably, his, he's probably uh, played know, like more. Um blitz and uh and bullet than, than most people in the world so i do think there is like something to just um like like i think intuition like feeds on that pattern recognition of just having seen um more positions more patterns so uh just feeding in a, a tremendous volume of those positions i might might help in some sense yeah well i i i i think that you know is is definitely true uh you know i'm actually close partners with the stepfather neil uh for for a lot of things and uh we we uh you know he, he he's also mentioned that uh you know those kids in the career you know again you know it's other uh benefits than uh you know even just like the i mean crazy twenty thousand dollars or so a month that i hear that he's, he's making uh streaming you know it's uh incredible <laughs> you know, I, I mean it's even yeah. like like much more than that now well i mean it, okay but i mean it, yeah for, for sure um but I, okay i would say that's the minimum <laughs> you know and uh you know but uh i mean okay even that right would be uh you know to me like very impressive you know and actually i, I remember in, in 2019 i was actually down in florida uh and i went out to lunch with Neil and hikaru and uh Robert McClellan and uh, was Neil's operations manager, actually, and a few others. And, uh, you know, I, I remember, like, you know, like after lunch, uh, Hikaru was, uh, you know, basically running out to, like, go stream. You know, at the time, I didn't even, like, hear a Twitch, you know, and I was like, wait, wait I, don't, I don't really get it. You know, like, why are you running out? You know, I didn't realize he was, like, starting to make, like, literally a ton of money through this. <laughs> you know, and, and this was, uh, you know, before there were basically hardly any uh you know chess streamers on on twitch and then uh sure enough like five months later it was covid and everyone was streaming and i was like wow like i understand why Hikaru was doing this i think uh, that's, so that's the tough thing for me about streaming is i don't think i could handle like you got to be consistent right you know all the all the really popular ones seems like mm. they almost every day and i i don't think i could could handle that just being on camera that much but uh yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to do like a little more video stuff, get better on camera. But uh, I don't foresee ever being a full time streamer. I just don't think I could handle the schedule. Yeah, well, it, like I said, it, it's definitely tricky. You know, look, I I definitely enjoy it. You know, a little bit uh, myself. Um, you know, we 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 do have yes, a small stream, Twitch.tv slash Premier Chess. <laughs> Um, you know, by the way, just as a reminder to, you know, all of our listeners, if you do actually, uh, listen to our, uh, podcast episodes, uh, live, uh, Wednesdays at, at 12 PM, uh, you do have an opportunity to, you know, ask our guests, uh, questions, uh, you know, that, that they might, uh, that they might have. So, 
um, yeah, definitely recommend you, uh, you know, consider uh, doing that uh, if you would like to ask our quest guests uh, any any questions. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, definitely, uh, you know, a, a perk. <laughs> so uh, Nate, I really want to thank you for you know taking a lot of time to uh, you know talk about a variety of subjects, you know, from Michigan football to over the board tournaments. Uh, Blitz as a vehicle for improvement, uh, evaluation, uh, mathematical decision making, uh, a little bit about uh, data for opening preparation, uh, and Nakamura's, uh, you know, assessment. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add while you're on the podcast today? Um, yeah, so I should, yeah, again, um, book will be coming out soon. Evaluate like a GM. The, the website is avalgm.com. And then my, my newsletter is, um, it's called Zwish and Zug, which I've been informed I pronounced wrong, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but it's uh, Z-W-I-S-C-H-E-N-Z-U-G dot substack dot com. So, you know, I, I write weekly um, kind of little mix of chess improvement, data, learning science, but but mostly geared towards practical chess improvement. Um, so people can sign up for that if they're interested. Yes, well, absolutely. Um, you know, there truly is a lot of great content in that. I've been saying it the last few weeks, and uh, both as a player and a coach, um, I've definitely got a fair amount of value uh, through it. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's important, by the way. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we have a weekly, uh, actually, usually biweekly uh, newsletter, uh, you know, and, you know, one thing that you know, once actually asked one of my digital marketing friends, Phil Dunn, about was, you know, how much content is like too much? And he said, look, as long as there's a lot of good value, uh, there's no such thing as too much. So <laughs> um, I, I do appreciate uh, certainly the value that, uh, you know, one gets from from reading it uh, every week. Um, so lastly, Nate, if anyone wants to, you know, reach out, learn more about your newsletter, uh, you know, anything like that, um, your book, et cetera. Uh, is there a way people could get a hold of you? Yeah, I think, you know, a, a, apart from the ways um, I already uh, said, um, I, I guess, um, uh, twi you know, Twitter, I'm I'm on Twitter if you just search for Nate Solon or, um, yeah, I mean, my, my email is just Nate, nate.solon at Gmail. So, you know, if someone's watching this and wants to get in touch with me, they could send me an email for sure. So, um, yeah. Okay, amazing. Well, Nate, thank you so much for your time and look forward to uh, checking out the book soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you.